Cool. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We are joined by Holly. And Lucy's still here. Don't worry. <laughs> and Can't get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to go through some Facebook Q&A. So take it away. Right, Lucy. Hi. First question. Um, I need advice on running socks. I'm constantly battling blisters and I'm not sure what to do. So I'd say blisters is often more of an issue over the summer. Mm -hmm. Blisters generally come about because of friction with our feet and that's often increased because of moisture, so essentially sweaty feet. Nice. Um, (laughs) So some of the things are thinking about what the socks are made of, making sure that they are a fabric that wicks away the moisture, so it kind of carries the moisture away from your feet quickly. Um, Maybe using some sort of talcum powder or something like that that just helps to absorb some of the sweat and um, keep the um, feet moving nice and smoothly. Um, You can get specific socks. You get some that are kind of double-layered socks that mean that the sock's rubbing against the sock rather than the sock rubbing against your skin. Right. Um, All of those sort of things. Also making sure that your own hydration is good. If if you're not either hydrated enough or you're too hydrated, your feet can get more swollen or (laughs) (laughs) under-swollen. And that can lead to issues so making sure your own hydration is good Um, but I'd also say if it's just something that's come on short term in the summer or something it's probably more likely to be that if it's an ongoing issue I'd say maybe go back to the shoes shoes need to be well fitted shoes are the most important thing probably to a runner Mm. Um, so making sure that the shoes are fitted well that they're not too tight they're not compressing um, but also they're not too loose and therefore rubbing about Um, even the lacing making sure that the laces are done up you don't want them too tight but making sure that the lacing support in the foot can all be really important Um, And then the other thing to watch out for, if you start getting blisters and it's a new thing and it's just come out of the blue, sometimes that's a sign that you've changed your gait. So maybe you had a knee injury or something, you slightly Mm -hmm. changed how you were running and therefore your foot was hitting the ground, moving in the shoes slightly differently. So often blisters or bits of shoes that are worn down in a different way to the rest of the shoe or whatever can be a sign that there's something going on sort of with the rest of the gait. Right, okay, so lots of facts. Lots of things to think about there. (laughs) Um, next question. How can you handle running up hills and running down hills as so, well? Yeah, this is from Graham, wasn't it? He, who's yeah, training from, for the Box Hill. From my dad. Oh, is that your dad? Of course <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, hill running is really, really important. In the run plan that I've just written for Oro, the 5K mm-hmm. run plan, we sort of address a lot to do with hill running. Hill running, if you're going to be doing a hilly race, you need to train on hilly ground. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely going to make a difference, you know, so you're not just doing it for the first time on race day. Um, but things to think about. When you're running uphill, that's actually really helpful, particularly for anybody who suffers from injuries, Um, anybody who tends to overstride, which I was talking about a bit before, where your foot's landing out in front, sorry, landing out in front of your body, um, and therefore you get all that impact of the body driving into those limbs that are sort of out in front of your body. When the hill's there, you can't overstride because the hill's in the way and you're having to pick up your foot. So it can really help in terms of technique, getting that foot just picking up a little bit more under the body and stopping it from shooting out so far in front. So running up hills is really hard, but can be really good in terms of working on our technique don't go out and do a load of it I keep on saying this but you have to build up to everything so you're using different muscles Mm -hmm. you can end up you know pulling a hamstring or something if you're doing too much too soon so building up to it warming up first doing a few gentle runs up the hill doing intervals where you go up down up down on the same hill um, and then getting a little bit faster but the first week maybe doing three next week doing five etc that's you're going up Mm -hmm. then it's also important to think about coming down. Now, sometimes if you're doing hill repeats, I'd say don't be training up and down in the same go. So if you're doing hill repeats, run up, walk down, so you get that recovery time and you're fresh when you're going back up again. If if you're knackered having just sprinted up the hill and then you try and go down, maybe your technique isn't as good and you can get more injured running downhill. When you're running downhill, you do end up with that foot going out in front of you. You get all that impact because you're going further before you land and hit the ground. So there's more impact going into the joints. But just being really mindful 
mindful. Don't think, oh, I'm going downhill. I'll just get those legs going out, bounding out in front of me, actually trying to keep the feet a little bit more under the body, mm-hmm. not having such a long stride, short, lots of short strides rather than lots of long bounding strides, particularly if you're new to it. Um, but again, just building up. So don't go out and do one, a big hilly run if that's not what you're used to. Just do a few hilly, do a few hill reps and build up over time. Cool. Thank you. And also, sorry, just one other thing. So particularly, well, running up or down, thinking about staying upright, not kind of leaning in, um, but staying upright, looking where you're going rather than looking down at the floor so much. Yeah, I suppose when you're going uphill, you have the tendency to kind of lean, lean towards forward as if to And that's going to happen a little bit. Yeah. Um, and also really good to think about when you're running uphill is use your arms. Rather than thinking, oh my God, I have to get my leg up, I have to get my leg up, and that feels hard. Use those arms, drive the elbows back behind you. Your legs do what your arms do. They sort of replicate, you've yeah. got that them. So use your arms for power, drive the arms back to give yourself that power to get up the hill. And it's partly just sort of psychological, it diverts your attention away from the legs. thinking about you. Yeah. Cool. Um, do you use compression socks when running long distances? Do they work? I'm struggling with tight calves. Um, I don't personally. I prefer to treat the um, the, the cause rather than just t- treat the symptom. Yeah. So I'd rather address why you're getting tight calves. Um, doing some calf strengthening work we should and again don't go off and do this straight off build up to it but we should all be able to do about 25 single leg calf raises you know if you just stand on a step or stand even on the floor and raise up onto sort of tiptoes so just going up down up down um, on single leg you can hold on for something for balance if you need to building up to being able to do about 25 to 30 of those on each leg post running don't do it before running Um, you'll be too knackered before you go out and do the run but building up that calf strength and then making sure that we're also doing some stretching, some mobility work, um, using a foam roller on our calves. So dressing it from that way around. In terms of um, compression socks or any sort of compression wear, I'd say the jury's out. There's You'll find studies to support anything and you always need to look at who paid for the study. Yeah. Um, but there are some studies showing that they work. I think there's more studies or I've seen more studies showing that they help in terms of performance rather than um, uh, reducing muscle pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's some that show they work. There's lots that show they don't. Um, I think the biggest thing though is they won't work unless they're tight enough. So they need to be actually quite uncomfortably tight. Yeah. Um, so going to a proper running store and getting some advice on getting the right ones for you, for your body shape, rather than just ordering online and hoping it's going to fit. If it's not too tight, if it's not tight enough, it's not going to do its job. Okay. What exactly do compression socks do? I'm a bit, sorry, I'm very new to running. So it's working with the venous return. So it's working to make sure, run the blood. They were originally um, modelled on, uh, what do you call it, that you wear on long haul flights? Yeah, the flight socks. I flight think. socks. <laughs> the, the sexy socks yeah, that exactly. you wear on. Oh, on they're the lovely. Um, so they were sort of modelled on that. So rather than all the blood pooling down in the lower part of your leg, mm. they're sort of squishing it up and helping to push it back through. So it's helping to reduce, oh. helping to speed that blood through. Um, the idea was it would reduce delayed onset muscle soreness, so DOMS. Um, as I say, there's lots of evidence or that lots of the studies show that it doesn't particularly help on that. Some of them have shown that it increases performance, so getting the blood sort of moving around the body faster. Mm-hmm. Um there's lots of different theories as to why they work if they work. Um, but yeah, that's the general principle. Yeah. I actually have something to add to that yeah. as well, okay. if, if it's okay, from a, I guess, a mobility strengthening perspective. So mm-hmm. the calf muscles are comprised of, well, two major muscle groups, which are the gastronemius and the soleus. Right. And they're what's referred to as tonic muscles. And so they're actually designed to be used for more endurance purposes. So as Lucy was saying, if you can do 25 reps of single, of calf raises, then that's a good indication that your calves are healthy. Mm-hmm. If they're chronically tight, then that's indicating that you're probably not stretching enough. But also it's probably a sign that you're not 
training them enough either. So just right. start with some basic calf raises and build them up over time. And that's literally just like yeah. raising up and down. Standing yeah. up on tiptoes, essentially. Okay. Yeah. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we can all do it, whether we do. They're a good one to do while you're brushing your teeth. And especially because oh, really? you get the timer on you, if you've got an electric toothbrush, oh, you can do it. You know, you... it's just one of those boring exercises that you can just build into daily to life, do. body weight. Yeah. That's a really good way of getting it into your everyday. Yeah. Right. The other thing to think about if you're always getting um, t um, tight calves is maybe it's something to do with your running. So people who forefoot strike tend to use their, so when your foot's, when you land more on your toes or the front of your foot rather mm -hmm. than your heel, um, you use more of your calves and you people tend to end up with more calf-based in, injuries. Um, whereas if you land more in your heel, and I'm not saying that's good or bad, one is I, I personally don't coach people to land on any particular part of their foot. I coach them to where their foot lands in relation to their body. Do you not? No. Oh. Um, we can come on to that one. <laughs> Another bugbear of mine. Um, but, um, yeah, if you were landing always out on the toe, and particularly if you're landing on the toe in front of the body, then that could be putting a lot of strain on your calf. So it might be yeah. just thinking about rather than if um, Emily, who was having the issues with this, um, rather than landing just on the toes at the front, think about landing on the back of the ball of the foot and just right. drop it back towards the back of the foot. I'm not saying try and heel, heel strike, but just a bit less on your toes. If that's an issue for her, it may not be an issue. Cool. Could be, as Matt was saying, a million different reasons. Lots of things to do with calves. <laughs> um, uh, where have I? Uh, how can I train to run faster? Um, so Broad. <laughs> yeah, um, I think, and you know, it will be specific to the individual, but a lot of people, a lot of mistakes... The, the mistake that a lot of runners make is that they try and do all their runs as hard as they can. So they'll go out on each run and they'll do something. And if they're doing, say, a 5K run, it won't be absolute race pace, but they'll do a 5K training run and it will be kind of pretty much as hard as they can be bothered to hold for that 5K. Yeah. Whereas actually what we want to do is do our slow stuff slow. We get the same cardiovascular benefits by taking that pace down quite a lot, just easy running. You can breathe through your nose, which is actually quite hard to do. You could definitely be chatting away, not getting out of breath. Um, so easy running is easy, and then your fast stuff is fast. Whereas if we do our easy runs or our midweek just kind of distancey runs, just when we're pushing a bit too hard, then we get too tired from that, and then we can't do the fast stuff fast. Yeah. So we need to do the slow stuff slow. We need to do the fast stuff fast. I get quite um, precise about training zones. Um, so doing, say, a 5K test to set training zones and then you set your pace or your speed that you run at, depending on the goal of that session, quite precisely. Different people don't want to get as precise as that. That's absolutely fine. But kind of knowing what the goal of the session is. If the goal of the session is it's a lovely day outside and you want to go for a run, that's yeah. a good enough goal. That's absolutely perfect. But if you're trying to, you know, this was a specific question for somebody who wants to get faster, they need their easy runs to be easy. They need them to be fairly long. They're building up that base, getting your cardiovascular system, your heart and all the stuff responsible for keeping the blood moving around your body in the most efficient way, getting the oxygen out of the um, blood as most efficiently as possible. Um, those need to be easy and long-ish, depending on what you're training for. Short stuff is fast. They're short, sort of 30 seconds up to two minutes, three minutes or whatever, but they are fast with good long recovery. So you can then go fast again. Um, and then you'd probably be doing some threshold or tempo stuff as well, which mm -hmm. is kind of seven, 12 minutes, could be up to 20 minutes, but generally wouldn't be at a kind of comfortably hard pace. But that's deliberately keeping, rather than going out and doing a 30 minute comfortably hard, break them into three tens, it'll be much more efficient and less chance of injury. Ah, 
so variety. Variety, always variety. variety. You've got to keep it interesting, <laughs> and then you can put your fartleks in there. So fartlek literally means um, Swedish speed play, but it's mixing it up, doing fast, slow, no structure, just yeah. variety, keeping it interesting. You know, sprint to the next lamppost, then jog to the next bench, whatever it is. Make up your own rules that as you go. That makes it way more interesting. Completely, that steady state running can be. Can be boring, but it is Dull. essential. It is essential. <laughs> is, um, is there anything else that you'd add from a technical perspective? Because the, the way I see it in terms of what makes someone a fast runner, mm-hmm. it comes down to two things, which are stride length and stride frequency, mm-hmm. to, I guess, to, to some extent. I mean, if you look at it from 100 metres, the reason one of the main reasons why Usain Bolt was so yeah. prominent for the length of time that yep. he was because he had extremely long strides and then he took the fewest number of steps to get to the finish line. Yep. And I guess that can also extend over the, the 10, 5, 10K runs. But he had the cardiovascular engine, well, and yep. in, in 100 metres, we're talking more anaerobic. But yep. whether we're talking 100 metres or, you know, a marathon or whatever, yes, it's that, the technical side, as you're saying, the stride length and stride frequency. But if you haven't got the cardiovascular engine, but also whether your body can cope with the buildup of lactate, um, so where you get to that point where you just can't hold that pace for any longer. Um, so it's all of those things together, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say. And in terms of stride length, kind of what we were talking about a bit earlier about whether the stride length is coming at the back of the stride or the front of the stride, that's way too technical for you or I to be able yeah. to work out while we're running. So I wouldn't really want anybody to aim to try and lengthen their stride. Yeah. I'd rather they did the mobility work that we've been talking about so they're getting more mobility at the hip so they get that stride. But I wouldn't pe- want people to try and think, I want to try and get a longer stride. Yeah. That can lead to more issues. Yeah. Um, so yes, it's 100%. It's about how you are running, what the legs are doing. But if you haven't got the engine to do it, then you ain't going to get there yeah. anyway. So Absolutely. yeah, the whole package. Cool. Cool. Our next question is from someone who's just started the 5K plan. Yeah. It's the intermediate one, the six-week one. Yeah. Um, it says, sometimes I just want to tune out and not focus on their form. How important actually is the technical stuff that you talk about so well? <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to come in into what you were just saying there as well, Matt. So I would say definitely, sometimes you just want to go out and run yeah. and you've got a million things on your mind and you want to use that run, particularly those easy long runs at the weekend to work through those issues and stuff. That is absolutely fine. You know, if you don't want to listen to me going on at you about stuff, drown me out that is absolutely fine but I would say you're going to be spending if you're going to do that six week plan so you're doing three runs a week so eight well 17 runs plus the race it's a great opportunity to work on your technique so if you can get more out of it than just the fitness if you can improve your running form and therefore reduce your risk of injury Mm -hmm. then then that's going to be good so you don't have to be doing it all the time you don't have to be listening to me paying attention to everything I'm saying all the time but I would say it's useful to get in the habit of just walking through your body thinking about your posture thinking about all the different aspects we talk about in the plan so we talk about sort of running upright imagine you've just thought you sit up in the chair there Um, so thinking about your shoulders not rounding forwards making sure we've got our neutral pelvis our glutes engaging making sure we're not sort of leaning forwards from the hips but we're running upright as if we've got a helium balloon sort of pulling us up all those things are just useful things just to be constantly walking through your body and just checking in on those things every kilometer every five minutes just do a little mental walk through your body it keeps you focused as well I think when you've got those long runs sometimes you just need brain space to go out and do your own thing think through whatever you're thinking through that's fine but sometimes when it's beginning to drag on you're like oh no another 10 minutes just giving that little sort of checking in gives you something to focus on but like I say it's going to reduce your risk of injury hopefully it's going to help you reduce your risk of injury Um, so it's more likely you're going to get to the start line and to the finish line and it should help you get faster people always say and sorry going back to that question from before how Mm. can I get faster the most important way to get faster is to 
is consistency. Yeah. Um, so not just going, oh, I'm going to do a re- loads of speed work this week because I've got time, but making sure it's building up, making sure it's consistent, but making sure you're running every week. And the shortest, the fastest way to end consistency is to get injured. So trying to stay injury free is the most important thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I have a side note question. Yeah. What is it supposed to feel like when your glutes are engaged? Is it supposed <laughs> to feel like anything? Yeah. So you would feel them. I never want people, some people talk about running and imagine you've got a pound coin between your butt cheeks and you're squeezing. (laughs) I'm like, what, you're going to run a marathon, squeezing your bum? Like, that's not going to work. And I don't, you want to be relaxed. Running should never be forced. It shouldn't be trying to do something. It should be relaxed. Otherwise, your running economy goes down, you become less efficient and Mm -hmm. that's not helping. Um, But, and that's why we do the drills at the beginning. So we start to become more into that position. It should never be like, oh my God, Lucy says I have to run like this and I'm going to run like that because it's not going to be helpful. But just working on it as I say rather than trying to hold it for the whole run checking in every five minutes just means little and often you just start to become a little bit more upright or whatever it is but in terms of that what the glutes should feel like you know there's a drill I think I do at the beginning where you stand on one leg and you bring your knee up so you're balanced on one leg but you bring your knee up and you're bringing your knee up kind of as far as you can in front of you and you really start to feel that glute engaging on that opposite leg now it's not going to feel as much as that but when you do that you can feel that glute starting to engage that's what the sensation's supposed to be a a dialed down version of that so if you think about in terms of that neutral pelvis you're drawing up at the front you can just start to feel the core engaging and you can feel can't do it while you're sitting down but <laughs> you can feel those glutes engaging from behind to me I feel like and, and I'll be walking through my body and I'll be in a race and I'll do that walk through my body and I see myself starting to overtake people not because I'm trying to run faster but because you know we all have to work on it I'm not saying I run perfectly at all but I get things engaging and then I just everything starts engaging I feel I'm, or I see that I'm speeding up overtaking other people but for me it feels like I've just got a little hand on my bottom just gently pushing me forwards I can feel that kind of engagement from be fine exactly and yeah. it's almost like a little cupping <laughs> cupping my bottom pushing me forward <laughs> that may not work for you but so just imagine someone cupping your if bottom. that works for you if that works for that's, you I think that's much nicer than a pound coin yeah like, definitely don't ooh. run with a pound coin between no your butt cheeks <laughs> if you take anything away from yeah, this that's podcast, the one thing take the pound Lucy coin said. out of the <laughs> okay moving on um is it a good idea to run through an injury It would depend what it is. Obviously, if it's upper body, less of an issue, could still be an issue. But but if we're talking, say, a knee injury, ankle injury or something like that, Mm -hmm. it would depend what it is. I think sometimes we get nervous and we go, oh my God, it's hurting. I'm going to stop running. And actually, it's just because I wanted a week and and I can't be able (laughs) to go out for a run. You trust your body. If something feels a bit niggly, keep going, maybe reduce down the speed work. Speed work tends to have more impact and therefore can be more risk of injury. So just keeping it an easy run pace, but making sure that easy run pace doesn't become sloppy. Yeah. So focus on the technique, definitely in in relation to that previous question. If, if things aren't feeling right, focus on the technique. Um, and then just see how it feels. If it gets better, great. Sometimes things just loosen up a bit. Um, it's a niggle and it passes, particularly as we come closer to a race I particularly know people talk about maranoia, like if you've got a marathon coming up, you just, everything in your body starts hurting. You're like, oh my God, I can't even walk up the stairs anymore without everything hurting. <laughs> and you're just overplaying things in your mind. So yeah. sometimes it's just that. But if something doesn't feel right, then go and get some advice from somebody. And don't just ask your mate who had a knee injury because chances are they had a very different knee injury for a very different reason to you. Yeah. Um, whether it's seen a physio, whether it's seen your doctor getting referred or whatever. But 
often, particularly if you enjoy running and it's an important part of your life, don't leave it too long to get advice because you can just get some advice and generally that'll help to get it sorted sooner. Um, and then that person can advise you whether you should mm -hmm. be running. It does depend on what the injury is. Um, but for some things, you want to keep that... As soon as you stop running, your muscles stop developing and then it becomes harder to build up that strength again. Yeah. So to some extent, you want to keep that stimulus in there. But if it's, say, it's a sort of an overuse injury, so it's to do with the kind of almost the friction and the impact at the knee and you're taking 180 steps a minute times however long you're out for and it's bang, 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 bang. Mm. If that's something that is sort of friction-based, then that's going to make it worse. So yeah. we need to find out what's causing it and therefore how to address it. Good advice. <laughs> um, we've got a few more questions mm -hmm. left uh, winter mornings are coming up do you have any good indoor warm-ups so it's not such a shock when you go outside I hope we're not quite at that stage yet I hope I we've know, got a few more still yeah I, I put my long trousers on cycling in this morning for the first time and I've got my lights on my bike which is a big shock to the system oh, that's but, depressing yeah <laughs> but hopefully we've got a little bit more summer left but yeah no um, good question so when it's cold you are more at risk of injury. Your body yeah. is literally cold. When we train, we basically the process of training is getting tiny little tears in our muscles, in our, in our bodies, and our body then rebuilds again more strongly afterwards. That's mm -hmm. the process of training. We break our body down, we rebuild more strongly. When it's cold, we risk those injury, those little micro tears become could be more severe and that could turn into an injury rather than just something that we rebuild again from afterwards. Yeah. Um, so it's important to make sure we've warmed up our body, literally made it warmer. Um, all the mobility warm-ups that I do at the beginning of the training plans, if you're following the 5K training plan, doing those, maybe doing them for a little bit longer or taking it a little bit more intense so you're getting the heart rate up a little bit more so you're starting to feel warm before you go out. Yeah. Um, there's loads of mobility warm-ups on the internet as well. Just, you know, that none of them, some of them might be bad for you, but most of them are going to be good. Just getting yourself moving, getting the body warmed up before you go. Mm -hmm. um, and then a lot of people suffer from the cold air, particularly in London and we have poor air people feel that you know they're breathing in that cold air that comes as quite a shock if yeah. people if, especially if they've got asthma um you can wear you know buff like a sort of little uh, what do you call it sort of it's like those those bands yeah exactly like a, like a, would go over your mouth like yeah. a sort of fabric <laughs> scarf thing yeah um just so that the air's a bit warmer but also really hold yourself to account on those easy runs so those easy runs you're meant to be able to breathe through your nose okay try breathing through your nose you're going to if it's cold, your nose starts running, it all gets a bit snotty. You might not want <laughs> other people around you. You might, but just try and breathe through the nose, warming up the air before it gets in as well. Yeah. Um, but but build those habits. So as soon as it starts getting cold, we go, oh God, I'm not going to go for my run this week. Oh, I'm not going to. And suddenly a whole month's passed and we've stopped running. So building the habits while it's still warm, keeping on going as it starts to get colder. And then you don't even question it. When it gets cold, it's just what you do. You mm. go for your runs. So, um, but, you know, maybe join a gym if you can run indoors for some of them. Definitely don't do all your training indoors it's miserable but um you know as an alternative that can yeah. sort of help yeah what do you wear running in the cold do you just do you layer up i layer up i get really cold i get rainards so my oh, even, right. even so august gloves. my fingers go numb yeah um so gloves for me is an essential but yeah layers i'll end up i get very hot very quickly as well as get very cold <laughs> very quickly it's great training with me um, i'm just gonna stop and take off some more layers so yeah wearing as little as i know i'll want eventually underneath yeah. but then layers on top of that and uh, for me gloves and a hat are the big things oh, yeah, you know definitely. i could go out and not have that much clothing on so long as I've got my that and when I start to get too hot taking the hat off gets me cool again makes such a difference yeah. yeah but for me the gloves are the big thing and if you want to get one of those you know really small little rucksack not one of the big ones that makes you kind of move about too much when you're running but a small little thing so you can stuff stuff in and yeah. you go in um, and take the, those layers off yeah absolutely 
Um, next question's a bit long. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read it all. <laughs> um, I haven't run very much, but I would like to have it as a habit and as part of my routine. Then again, I feel like if I went out to run, I wouldn't be able to last long due to low stamina and motivation to push myself. I would maybe give up after about 15 or 20 minutes. How does a beginner go about setting running as part of a routine and what practices while running will make it easier for me to get into the zone? So I think we've talked around some of these, but it's a really yeah. good question Like, and it's such a common question as well. I think most people go, oh, I can't run or I'm not a runner yeah. because I can't run for 15 to 20 minutes. You don't need to. Why would you be able to? If, that, if you've never done that, if you're not in the habit of doing that, of course you can't run 15, 20 minutes. You get good at doing what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you go out for, even if it's only five minutes, 10 minutes, and you do run walk. Now people always think, oh, I don't, that's a quitter. I don't want to do run walk. Run walk is really important, partly because it just means you're going to be out on your feet, particularly if you're trying to build fitness. I don't know with um, this person how sort of generally fit they are, but for some people just doing that walking is building their fitness. Yeah. Um, more time out there, just moving, being mobile, not sitting at the desk. That's all really important, but it's also important because the more tired you get from running, the more your technique starts getting sloppy and we end up just throwing that foot out in front of us, trying to kind of get further, going, oh, just keep going for another five minutes and it gets worse and worse in terms of technique. If you take that 30 second, 20 second, minute, whatever it is you need, break, A, it just gives you a mental break and then you're like, yeah, I can do this and you get back to it. Um, But also it just means your technique's going to be better when you come back to it. Mm -hmm. So it's going to keep you going for longer, but it's going to keep you going well with good technique for longer. So yeah, starting off where you're at, if, if you go out and you can only run 10 minutes, do do eight minutes and do it as run walk and build up from that mm-hmm. um, and just take up the um, the amount of running each time and the total time. Um, you know, it's going to depend on where you're at so I don't want to give sort of specifics but that would be the main thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought it was a really important part he asked as well about how to make running part of your routine and that yes. is so important and so many people say, oh, I'm not going to follow a plan for this training that I'm doing. A plan is a is important because of that it gives you the specifics of what you're meant to be doing but also because it forces you to think okay I've got three runs to do this week when am I going to fit them into my week Mm. and making them part of your routine so knowing what works for you not feeling under pressure to do it in the morning because that's what your mate does or that's what's meant to be best if you're not a morning person don't do it in the morning do it you know in the evening do it at lunchtime whatever it is that works in your routine I'd say for most people, if you you know if you have a traditional, you go to work, you come home. I would say trying to do the run before you get home, rather than getting home and then having to leave the house again, it's quite hard. So if you have the ability to, if you have showers at work, or whatever, and you can get changed at work and do a run at work before you get home, that often can make the difference. Um, but yeah, making it part of your routine, putting it into your diary, literally in your work diary, your personal diary, whatever it is, put it in when it's going to happen so you don't end up double booking yourself with yeah. social arrangements as well. And then it, it it's so hard to make it that routine at the beginning, but once it becomes part of what you do, you don't question it. Yeah. So yeah, set, set it in your diary and start off where you're at and build up from that would be the main advice. Brilliant. And we just got one more really quick question. Um, it would be great to have some advice on cadence and stride length for someone looking to improve a 10k. So we talked a bit around this in various other questions today, but um, I think, so cadence is the number of steps you take per minute and you can count that yourself if you just look at your watch or don't look at your watch because if you look at the seconds, you'll end up just counting seconds, but look at your watch, have it beep at you after 30 seconds and mm-hmm. count how many strides you've taken. It's easy just to count one leg um, and you'll end up with a number if you're just counting one leg around 
I don't know, 60 to 80 to 90 strides per minute on one mm-hmm. leg. Um, the magic number um, that people talk about is you must take 180 strides a minute. That's based on both legs. So if you were 90 on one leg, that'd be 180 between the two legs. That was based on an elite group of runners, people um, auditioning for Olympic trials. So okay. for the likes of you and I, don't worry too much about the magic numbers. For me, the importance of cadence is does your cadence drop as you get towards the end of a run? So count at the beginning, first first kilometre or something, count for 30 seconds, how many strides you take on one leg, count towards the end. Has it got slower? If yes. it has, then you're risking that you're going slower and you're increasing your stride length. And we were talking a bit about stride length, but chance that you're throwing your foot out at the back rather than having that very good stride length that's coming from behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so just keeping an eye on that. If you're running on a treadmill or if you've got a watch that tells you what speed you're running at, that's quite helpful because often when we try and increase our cadence, we actually just end up running faster. Our goal isn't to run faster in this case. Our goal is to be running at the same speed but the same number of steps per minute. All gets a bit confusing. But so um, when people work on cadence, often I say it's easier to do if you've got access to a treadmill. Yeah. Um, the other reason to be working on cadence, so one is if you just if it drops towards the end of a run, trying to make sure that it doesn't. Um, people who suffer from knee injuries, one of the best or easiest pieces of um, sort of changes to implement is to increase the cadence. So from if you measure your current cadence and you want to take it up about 5%, up to 7.5%, not in one go though, it has to be sustainable. So work out what it is now, do the math, times that by 5 um, percent, and then try running at that. So you can get loads of free apps that can or watches that beep at you, mm-hmm. and just get in rhythm with that. I would say probably start at only three or four percent. It's got to feel sustainable. So you've got to yeah. be able to hold it over the run. So if you're doing seven and a half percent, but it feels like you're running like that, you have to do it while it's beeping at you. But you're not going to do it after that. So yeah. um, get that cadence a little bit faster. Then if that becomes sustainable, take it up a little bit faster. Um, after that but generally I'd say there's a lot of things to focus on before cadence so yeah if it gets sloppy if it gets slow towards the end of a run particularly if you've got knee issues that's something to look at but beyond that I wouldn't worry too much about it Mm -hmm. and then stride length I think we kind of talked around previously (laughs) brilliant well they're all our Facebook questions so big thanks to everyone who sent them in yeah thank you for sending them in there good group of questions (laughs) good variety uh, as well thanks so much for your time Lucy really appreciate you coming down to have a chat today aside from your programs on Oro, where can people find you online? Uh, so I'm Feel Fit with Lucy generally, so on Instagram, Facebook, uh, not very much on Twitter, um, <laughs> and a very, very out-of-date website which will be updated at some point soon. But yeah, Feel Fit with Lucy generally you find me. Cool, brilliant. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. Lucy, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Is there anywhere else other than the Oro programs where people can find you online? Yep, so I'm uh, Feel Fit with Lucy, so on Instagram, uh, on um, Facebook, sometimes on Twitter, mm-hmm. and I've got a very, very out-of-date blog, all Feel Fit with Lucy. Okay, brilliant. Cool. And for those of you that want to get involved a little bit more, feel free to join our Facebook group, post some questions, and they'll probably get answered in our next podcast. <laughs> Did you want to say? <laughs> yeah, so it's called the Official Aura Member Group. You can send us our question, send your questions there for the next podcast. It's um, a place where all the latest Aura news is released first. We've got a really great community over there. Lots of people supporting other users and congratulating them on working out or starting a plan. It's a pretty nice place to chat with people. I'm there a lot. Matt's also posting some pretty cool videos. Lucy's pretty active on there. So <laughs> head on down and talk to us, please. Cool. Brilliant. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.